So as we uh, go through these eight things you just can't live without, it's, it's uh, always interesting uh, that no one's drawing a blank on, on uh, any one particular of these, you know, that, that there's always something that appeals uh, to some. And uh, even though it obviously didn't appeal to us enough that somebody put their hand up to, that's interesting, isn't it? Out of the eight things, the only thing that we didn't kind of feel attached to was joy. Um, interesting, let's, let's explore that. Um, but... Um, yeah, you know, on, on the screen there, uh, some people making some... Actually, uh, young fellow, he made a pretty profound sort of uh, off-the-cuff kind of observation, isn't, didn't he? You know, he's talking about the other side. I'm not sure exactly what he meant, but, you know, without hope... Uh, what did he say? Without hope, you can't sort of look forward to whatever's on the other side. And if, without joy, well, there is nothing on the other side. Surely joy uh, must be the goal of things. Interesting. Um, well, uh, we need our uh, minds and our hearts to be challenged always uh, by God's Word. And um, not just, I think, you know, the, one, of the, one of the goals of this series was actually to help us um, not move beyond the Gospel, but understand how the Gospel, the good news about Jesus' death and resurrection, affects and impacts and shapes or to be shaping all of life. Um, so each of these eight things is, is an aspect of life that we all recognise is important but may not have made the connection between the gospel truth that we believe and how it shapes uh, each of these things. So let's pray that God would help us to understand how the gospel shapes joy. Heavenly Father, uh, yeah, we, we thank you that it is your desire that we uh, experience joy, a, a fullness of, of delight. Um, that uh, yeah, that you you even even for us, even for a world uh, that has uh, turned away from you, you want what is good and best for us, uh, and uh, you have proven how much you want that for us through the gift of your son. So please help us to make the connection to uh, to realize that there are false uh, false places we can look uh, for joy and false ways that we can seek it. Uh, help us to see what they are so that we'll turn instead uh, to find uh, the way that you have established. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I wonder if you remember, I'm sure, sure you do, uh, the story of Pinocchio. Remember Pinocchio? Uh, hard to forget if you've heard the story. Pinocchio, most people remember Pinocchio as the... the uh, because of the way his nose grew every time he told a lie. Right? That's kind of the, the main feature of the, the story, I suppose, especially when you're a kid. Uh, that's a very funny image. Um, and it's a, it's a tale that parents love to tell, you know, uh, to their children, uh, just, to, you know, just to say, this could happen to you, so be careful. But actually, the story of Pinocchio isn't really about telling the truth. Uh, it's, it's actually bigger than that. The story of Pinocchio is about a marionette, right, a, a puppet made out of wood who wants to become a real boy. There's pathos there, isn't there? Wow, you know? Yeah, he wants to be real and he wants to experience the life, the full life of a real boy, a real son. But Pinocchio had to learn that living for himself and pursuing pleasure and happiness wasn't the way to get what his heart desired. Don't know if you remember that part of the story. It goes on for quite a while. He gets uh, tricked uh, by several people uh, into pursuing happiness uh, at, I can't remember what it was called, sort of like the land of fun or land of something or other like that. 
Uh, and, uh, but instead what happens is he gets enslaved, uh, gets turned into a donkey and all, has all those adventures. And eventually, through all his uh, trials and adventures, finds himself rescued by his father and uh, ends up home with, with his dad and discovers that it's there where he began. It's there uh, through his rescuer, his father, that he discovers true joy and that he does uh, enter into a full, real relationship uh, with his father. Uh, and along the way, he discovered that the pursuit of happiness, that where, where he was kind of running off and trying to make his own life and live freely apart from uh, his father, actually uh, made those who loved him sad and it didn't make him more real, it didn't make life better, it actually made him, in a way, less real, less of a boy. Um, and it strikes me that our own pursuit of happiness might do exactly the same thing. That our own pursuit of happiness might not lead us towards joy where it can really be experienced and found, but away from it. Because we do all pursue happiness, don't we? we? We know that life isn't what we'd love it to be, what we'd long for it to be. And we believe that it can be good, better, and so we search for this deep and lasting happiness. I think most of us would equate, in fact, the good life with the happy life. Makes sense, doesn't it? And so, because that's the equation we're working with, we spend a lot of time and energy and money pursuing happiness and pursuing all the things that we hope will add to our happiness. Everyone's got their list. Everyone's list is different. I wonder what's on your list. I've got a list. I haven't literally got a list, but I think it's there in me, you know, in my mind. It's revealed by the things that I think about and do. Uh, it would include things like comfort. Comfort makes me happy. Ease makes me happy. The right mix of time with others and time on my own. When I do those personality things, I always come so boring. I'm right in the middle. I'm neither an extrovert or introvert, so I just want just the right amount of time with people, just the amount of time on my own. Uh, you know, there's one other thing that actually makes me happy. This has been bugging me. That's better. Yeah. Anyone else? Uh, yeah, okay, it's all okay now. Uh, so there's things like that. Um, good food and drink. I'm kind of with the red wine guy. Happy, happy about that. Uh, things to look forward to. That's important to me. Something to look forward to. A challenge or project to tackle. Uh, friends who, uh, who I find interesting, who make me laugh. They bring joy. The feeling at the end of the day or at the end of the week that I've achieved something worthwhile. A happy and harmonious family. If I can tick all those boxes, um, my life is good, right? I'm happy. And I could easily spend my whole life pursuing happiness by pursuing those things. But what if we were made for more? What if I was made for more than that and we were made for more than that kind of list and that kind of pursuit? What if we were made for something deeper and more enduring than any happiness that we can achieve by pursuing our own happiness. Do you get that? What if we were made for, for a kind of happiness 
that was bigger and better than anything we can achieve by pursuing our own happiness. And I think, what are you talking about? What if we were made for what the Bible calls joy, which is found in an altogether different way? Now, to help us think about that, we can do it under two headings. Uh, if you're looking at the outline on your sheet, it's got nothing to do with what I'm saying. So anyway, just ignore that. And our two headings are what brings God joy, what brings God joy, and what brings us joy. And hopefully what we'll see is that there's a very direct correlation, or there ought to be, uh, between what brings God joy and what brings us joy. Uh, to do that, hopefully, hopefully in the end we might get to 1 Peter chapter 1, it's possible we won't, uh, but we're going to go through a few, couple of other different passages first. Uh, the first of those is, not with me, can you, thanks Suze, thank you. Uh, these are passages that you, if you're in growth group during the week, you would have encountered, and the first of them is uh, Luke chapter 15. So in Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables. Uh, they're quite similar parables, they're all about things that are lost and then found. Uh, the most famous of them is the longest. It's the one that comes at the end. It's the parable that we often call the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son or even the parable of the two sons. Uh, and before that, leading up to it, uh, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. Now, one feature that all these parables uh, t- uh, uh, have, possess, is uh, a focus at the end. It's almost kind of like the meaning, really, of the parable, a focus on the joy of the, the one who finds their lost thing. So uh, the focus uh, is on, uh, in the parable of the shepherd, it's on the shepherd when he finds his lost sheep, how he rejoices, he goes home, he throws a party. Uh, the lady who loses her coin, she's only got 10, she finds uh, the one that's lost, she celebrates, calls her neighbours over, let's have a party. Uh, the father, when he gets his son back, it's the biggest party uh, that the town has ever seen. The joy that comes from uh, finding what is lost. And listen to what this is all about. It's not, it's, they're not actually parables about how when you lose something, go searching for it because it'll be really exciting when you find it. It's actually the parables about, where, about what, makes, what brings God joy. So look, look at how they're concluded. Oh, sorry. If you've got a Bible, Luke 15, 7 will help you. Verse, sorry, Luke, 15, yeah, Luke 15, verse 7 is where we're going first. This is how Jesus concludes the parable of the lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What brings God joy? What brings joy to heaven? Well, one sinner who repents. Much more joy than 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. Now, Jesus isn't saying that there's those who need to repent and those who don't need to repent. Rather, we need to go back to verse 1 and see who he's talking to and why. It's the Pharisees. Boo, yes. Right? It's the Pharisees who don't like the fact that Jesus is hanging around with people they deem sinners. Okay? And Jesus is saying to them, look, these are the people who, who I've come for. I've come to seek and save the lost, he says elsewhere. And so he tells these parables. Uh, and uh, the first one, uh, 
rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Now, the next one, the parable of the lost coin, gives us a little bit more information about what's going on in heaven when a sinner repents, when someone recognises they've been running away from God and turns around and turns back to him. What we read at the end of that parable is that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, which is really interesting because it sounds at first just skim reading, that it's the angels who are rejoicing. But read closer. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. Hmm. So the angels are actually watching somebody else rejoice. And you know who it is, don't you? They're actually watching God rejoice because it's God who has found what belongs to him And he is the one who is rejoicing over what has been lost. What is it that's lost? It's not a sheep, it's not a coin, it's children. And that becomes clear in the prodigal of the son, or the two sons. Because there's the son who uh, decides that he wants to be free. Free from the strictures and restraints of life at home with his father. And so he claims his inheritance early, cashes it in, and off he goes to enjoy life. Off he goes to pursue happiness in all the things that the world says, in all the places that the world says he will find it. But he doesn't. Things go pear-shaped and he ends up with nothing or worse than nothing almost and decides what a fool he's been. Comes to his senses, it says in the passage. He realises what he had and what he's lost And he decides that he will go back. He will turn around, he will go back home, back to his father, and he will plead to him to be allowed to work as a slave. But what we discover there is that all the time that the son has been gone, his father has been looking and waiting and watching for him to return home. This son who has rejected him has not left the father's heart, but rather the father's affection still remains on him. And so he watches from the rooftop and he sees him coming from a distance. And his joy is so great that he can't hold it in. And he runs out, runs out to welcome his son home. Uh, His son tries to apologize, tries to make excuses, tries to ask for his place back, but his father won't hear a word of it. He doesn't care. Dad, uh, the dad's son is home and he has the delight, the joy of a father to welcome his son home and he throws a great party. Welcomes everybody and says, rejoice. The one, my son who was lost, is now found again. What brings God joy One, one of you, one sinner, one sinner who recognises that life isn't found apart from God, life is found with God. And God, in his mercy and grace, receives, welcomes, rejoices in the return of sinners. What brings God joy? Incredibly, you do. You do. And not because you're doing well. Not because you've been there all along, slaving away, earning his favour. Not at all. Because you've come to your senses. 
because you've recognised how dumb it is to try and find freedom and security and love. And all these things we've been looking at, they're only found by turning back, by confessing, by turning back to God and receiving his warm welcome home. That's what brings God joy. Now, don't you think that maybe our joy might be connected to God's joy? Hopefully you've seen already that there's an obvious connection between what's going to bring joy to us and what brings joy to God. See, joy isn't found by heading away from God, but by being close to God. In fact, let's put it this way, joy is a gift of God. It's not something that we can pursue and find apart from him. It's something that comes as a gift from him, the fruit of fellowship and partnership with him. The fruit of being in his presence and being in his purpose. That's where you're going to find it. That's where joy can be found. Uh, To help us understand that, uh, let's move from Luke 15 to John 15. Uh, John 15 was another passage that was uh, in your growth group booklet during the week. Uh, And uh, we're just going to look at a few verses there, verses 9 to 12. Uh, Now, I've got to say, I find John the hardest gospel writer to understand. He just seems to be on a loop, you know, kind of saying the same thing in different ways, again and again and again, verse after verse. It's not what's happening. We just need to read more closely. He's got a very small vocabulary. I don't think he went to school. He just kind of, he's got love. That's about it, actually, love. Uh, You know, and he just keeps talking about it, right? Uh, But, so we need to pay close attention. John 15, verses 9 to 12, thinking about where our joy can really be found. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, talking to his disciples, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Let me step you through what that means. Because I get lost halfway through the first verse. But here's how it goes. God says to the disciples, Just as my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now that I've loved you, remain in my love. How do we do that? Well keep my commands. Now, we need to stop there because we could think that Jesus is saying, if you keep my commands, I will keep loving you. Sounds like what he's saying, doesn't it? It is not what he's saying at all. Uh, That's not the gospel. Jesus simply wouldn't say that. And, and, And neither would he say, God only, the Father only loves me because I do what he says. That's not God. That's not the gospel. Here's what he's actually saying. I've got it written down because I want to get it right. Uh, It's not that if we keep Christ's commands, then he will keep loving us. 
It's that if we keep Christ's commands, we will keep loving him. Does that that make sense? If we keep Christ's commands, we will be staying in his will, we will be staying close to him, we will be loving him. If we disobey Christ's commands, we will not keep loving him. So it's not that he's deciding whether or not he's going to love us. He's, he's, he's saying, remain in my love. If you've accepted that I'm your saviour and I'm your Lord, then keep loving me. Obey my commands and you will remain in my love. And what are Jesus' commands? Back to the passage, there's actually only one. Jesus says, this is my command... This is my command, or my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. It's Jesus' command. That's the way to remain in his love. That's the way, in fact, to experience his joy because look what he says in verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Where is joy found? It's by remaining in Christ's love, which is keeping his commands, which is loving one another. That's actually where joy can be found, loving each other as he has loved us. So joy isn't found, isn't the result of loving ourselves, which is really what pursuing happiness is all about. I don't think anyone can claim anything else. Pursuing happiness is about loving ourselves. And so it's a dead end if you're seeking joy. Joy is found in loving each other. It's the result of... It comes from loving others in love for Christ who first loved us. Now, at this point, you might be going... You might be like the dads in the video. Hang on a second. (laughs) Have we been fooled? (laughs) Have we been gypped? Not at all. Not at all. You might be asking, when, when do I get to do what I want to do? Folks, never. Never. The gospel is meant to rescue us from that, remember? The gospel is meant to rescue us from That's what the prodigal son was doing. He was chasing after happiness, trying to do whatever he wanted to do and find it that way. And he couldn't because it wasn't there, couldn't be found. It was back home doing under his father's roof, doing his father's will, being connected and united to his father and enjoying, delighting in where he was meant to be and doing what he was meant to do. You see it? And, And do you see how easy it is to think the other way and go the other way? You know it. Folks, we need to pay close attention, don't we? Because so easily... We turn away and joy can't be found, it's lost. But the reality is, that means that life's a challenge. Remaining in Christ's love is actually hard because it involves denying ourselves and instead loving others. And that's tough. We're not good at it, it's not natural, but it is spiritual. It is the life that the Spirit of God enables in us 
and it's also the path to joy. Joy is the fruit of that kind of life, a hard but better path. Jesus says, come and follow me and it'll be easy. Not quite? (laughs) No. He says, there is a wide highway that you can travel down to pursue your own happiness, but it ends in death. There is a narrow and rocky path and few find it, but it leads to life. And joy is actually found on the way and fully at the end. And that's the invitation that the gospel brings to you. Following Jesus is not an invitation to an easy life, but it is an invitation to a good life, to the best life, and to a life of joy. And you saw this again, if you're in growth group during the week, there were these 10 individual verses from the New Testament, and I hope you felt like just kind of pull, pull, just strike again, again, and again, 10 times, slap, 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 by this one idea, or two ideas, always together, joy and suffering. You know, you read that once and you go, hmm, that's a bit odd, wouldn't have expected that. You read it twice and you go, hmm, that's kind of funny. There seems to be a connection between joy and suffering. You read it three times and you go, hang on a second, there's a pattern here, I'm seeing this. You read it ten times and what do you think? You think, whoa, this is how it is. This is how God planned it to be. This is how Jesus said it would be. Joy and suffering hand in hand, side by side. Don't be surprised, expect it. Expect that that's where you're going to find joy. Staying in the commands and in the love of your Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Loving others as he has loved us. Well, not getting into 1 Peter. Well, okay, we will, just briefly. Here we go. Four things to do if you want to experience real, deep down joy. The first is remember and know that God rejoices in you. That is the bedrock of experiencing joy. More rejoicing in the presence of the angels of heaven, more rejoicing in the heart of God over just, over you. Enjoy that, first of all. Because that's going to be the source, that's going to be the fuel for you to do everything else and experience joy. The second thing is stop pursuing happiness. You don't want to hear it, but you must hear it. Stop pursuing happiness as a goal. I'm not saying stop being happy. But stop pursuing happiness as a goal. Remember, when it comes to following Jesus, there's always a no and a yes. There's always a putting off and a putting on. There's always repentance and faith. And so stop pursuing happiness. Instead, start pursuing Holiness. I'm using the word mainly so that it kind of, you know, alliteration, right? But holiness is what? Well, it's keeping God's commands. It's keeping the commands of Jesus. There's only one. What is it? Love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. 
Make that your goal. Pursue that. Stop pursuing happiness. Start pursuing holiness. And finally, hunger for heaven. Because even though, even though you will, it has been promised, Jesus, the word has promised that you will experience joy as you remain in his love. You will experience it here and now in this life. It's a promise. But it will always be compromised. It won't be quite the full deal until we are in the presence of God. That's, that's what Psalm 16, we started there this morning. Psalm 16 says, fill me with joy in your presence. That's where we will finally enjoy, without any barriers, without anything stopping us, joy in its fullest and final form. And that's really what 1 Peter is all about. There's a promise of joy in suffering, but it leans forward, it keeps leaning forward. You've been given a new birth into a living hope, says Peter, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. So hunger for that. Lean forward. Know that it's going to be a difficult road uh, following the commands of Jesus. But there will be joy along the way and ultimate joy at the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we've seen clearly, clearly so many times in your word this week and today that your desire for us is our joy, that it is why Christ came, that we might be reunited to you and receive every blessing that comes. Father, thank you that even now your spirit lives in those who trust in Jesus, that your presence is with us, though we are not yet in your presence. And because your presence is with us, we do experience joy. It is a gift, a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that, that as we abide in Jesus, as we... Uh, remain in his love as we seek to keep his command which is to love each other joy is in the offing but keep us leaning forward expecting more uh, and trusting that you will always keep your promises and provide we pray in jesus name amen